0: lord we uh, also want to lift up uh, Gina brookshire just pray that you will continue to heal her and uh, we just pray that you'll give her uh, just a divine peace right now and knowing that you're on your throne and knowing that your time is your timing is perfect and pray for Trey also that you'll give him endurance and uh, hope and peace right now while they're trying to recover from this sickness uh, Lord we love you so much we just uh, look forward to in, to enjoying you tonight in Christ's name we pray amen Okay, we're going to start in Genesis 12, for the sake of context, we're studying Genesis 13 tonight, but for the sake of context, I'm going to read Genesis 12, along with 13, and then we're going to kind of come back and low crawl through 13. They kind of just seem to fit together, so we're going to look at them both tonight. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place at Shechem to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had and Lot went with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with him, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar, This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, After Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, for the sake of context, let's just kind of capture a couple of things from chapter 12 before we climb into chapter 13. Abram has been down in Egypt. You know, the geographical, the elevational references there, of going down into Egypt was a picture of his spiritual journey when he went to Egypt. He stepped outside of God's will. And in this whole chapter 12, this picture where he stepped outside of God's will, there's no worship and there's no words from God either. There's no altars, at least this foray into Egypt. There's no worship, there's no altars, and there's no word from the Lord. Abram's been on his own program, and he's been walking by sight, protecting his own life at the cost of his own wife's honor. What, you, you remember what led him there? Does anybody, was anybody paying attention or was really tuned into that? What led in Famine. Famine. You can imagine that your stomach is going to, your, your hunger pains can be pretty painful and pretty serious and something that you've got to tend to. But he left the stones of God's will for the bread outside of God's will. And that uh, was a picture of faithlessness. He's been down in Egypt, but now in chapter 13, he's coming back up out of Egypt. So that's key. Let's look at uh, chapter 13. We're going to kind of low crawl. So Abram went up from Egypt, verse 1, he and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he had journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Now he goes back to where his tent had been. Why do you think that is? What's that? Maybe, yeah. It seems likely. Let's look at the next verse. He went back to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. He goes back there, just like he said, because there's an altar there, but he goes back there for a specific purpose. And what is that purpose? Yeah, and so, what, so what's he going to do? He, he did what he called upon the name of the Lord. He's going back to worship. He stepped out of God's will. He's been on his own program, and now he's going back to worship. Uh, Brad, I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you do when you lose something? What's the first thing that you do? Apart from asking Christy where you put it. Trying to think about where I left it. Okay. Yeah, there's two Brads here. I just thought about that. I was looking at that Brad. That's cool, though. That worked out good. That's safe for you, Brad Cardwell. (laughs) That was good. Now, say that again. What was your answer? Okay, you want to figure out where was the last place that I touched that thing? Anybody that know, does anybody know how to handle that board back there? I feel like I'm so loud I'm almost having to whisper. If somebody can turn me down some. Jill, I thought Jill was about to raise up. <laughs> uh, nobody knows how to work that board back there? Mark, can you kind of look at some volume things? I bet you can figure it out, what? being the, the whiz that you are. I bet you can figure it out. You go back to the place where you last had your hands on it, the place where you last touched it, to where you last saw it. And that's what Abraham or Abram is doing here. Having stepped out of God's will, he now makes a beeline for when he was last in it. I'm going to go back to the geographical location where i stepped out outside of God's will. You know, I I prepared this question and I thought about my own journey uh, over the course of years, but also think about it over the course of weeks. And we've got to ask this question. Have you ever stepped outside of God's will and had a foray in Egypt? I think most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we've had a foray in Egypt. Now, the reality is we all do that on a little micro scale over the course of a week and even a day where we may step out of God's will and step out of faithfulness and step into a place of faithfulness where we've made a little foray into Egypt. But here's the key, the thing that we can learn from Egypt. When you find yourself down in Egypt, <laughs> that remember the elevational references. When you find yourself at that spiritual place down in Egypt, we can take a cue from Abram and go back to where we last walked with the Lord. We can go back and, you know, you think about those places I hear from people so often. That's good, that's good. I hear from people so often where are talking about, man, I used to have this sweet walk with the Lord. I was, I was feasting on the Word. I was reading His Word every day. I was teachable. I was searching. I was digging. I was gnawing on things. But I just, I'm, you know, I'm not walking with the Lord now. And the key for that person that has found themselves down in Egypt, you may not be in that place right now, but you will be in an Egypt. So hopefully you'll hear these words and you'll remember Abraham or Abram, and you'll go back to the place where you last ate. Go back to the dinner table, and you'll begin to gnaw on it again. You'll be teachable again. You'll start feasting again, and you'll remember that place that you found before. Bring your knife and your fork, and be ready to dine with a graceful, forgiving God. Because thankfully, that's the sort of God that we have. But hopefully, those forays to Egypt are a lot less frequent. But at least knowing how to get back is helpful. In verse 5, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Okay, <clears throat> so far we've had a couple of wrinkles in the whole, your. Uh, sand, star, dust numbered offspring will inherit this land promise. I'm going to say that again just so you know what I'm talking about. We, we've, we've had some wrinkles so far in this uh, sand, star, dust numbered offspring that will inherit this land promise. Okay, the first wrinkle was what? Do you remember? Sarah's she's barren. Sarah is barren. What, what's the second wrinkle that's kind of associated with that? and abram's old she's pretty old but yeah he's really old and then what's the next wrinkle that came up okay yeah that's good that's a little intermediate wrinkle i wouldn't even remembering that's very good yeah what's another wrinkle what what happens in the land when he gets there this place he's supposed to inherit a famine i mean that that's the next wrinkle okay so here's the next wrinkle Not only is Sarai barren, not only is Abram old, not only have they dealt with famine, but now there's another visual obstacle to the fulfillment of his promise, and his name is Lot, his nephew. This guy's going to be yet another wrinkle to the whole plan. It seems there's a conflict between the herdsmen of Lot's flocks and herds and Abram's flocks and herds. You remember Lot is Abram's nephew, okay? And Abram's, Lot's dad died. So Abram being the uh, what seems to be the benevolent uncle takes him under his charge and tends to him like, almost like he's his own son. But there's a conflict between these herdsmen and apparently the land cannot support. These flocks are so big, the herds are so prolific that the land can't support both flocks in addition to the Canaanites and the Perizzites living there. The Perizzites, it seems, were not offspring of, of Canaan but parasites were actually kind of a term that referred to those that lived in the countryside. And the Canaanites, on the other hand, would be the guys that lived in the city. So between the people that lived in the city, the people lived in the country, and then all of these flocks trying to feast off the same hillsides, there's a problem, and the herdsmen are at each other's throat. Now, I want you to put yourself in Abram's shoes for a minute. And think about this like an uncle. Think about this like the benevolent uncle, benevolent uncle that's tending to your nephew, that's trying to obey the Lord, that's had this incredible promise from the Lord that you're going to have offspring as numerous as sand, star, and dust, and they're going to inherit this land. Okay, Imagine that's you, and then imagine you've got this scenario where Lot's flocks are kind of coming in contact with your flocks, and something's got to go. Just imagine what you would do. Let's talk about that for a minute if you're Abram. Anybody? Yeah. Listen, I think at this point, you're bound to be thinking. I mean, I would be thinking, okay, Lot, you've got an established flock now. You've got a herd. I've kind of gotten you on your own two feet. You can make some decisions on your own. I kind of helped you you know, move on from this place where your daddy, my brother, died. But now it's time for you to pack up. Because, see, the, the Lord promised this land to me. So you need to head on back maybe to Egypt or something. You know, someplace outside of the land that's been promised to me. It seems like that's what I'd be doing is kicking Lot out of my camp into the next valley in the direction of Egypt or anywhere other than my promised land. But let's see what Abram does. Verse 8, Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Now, there's a little hint there of what, he, what really he's about to say in referring to him as kinsman, because that word there means brother. He's speaking to Lot, not like he's the, the uh, nuisance nephew. He's speaking to Lot like he's a brother, like a peer. And it shows this incredibly low view that Abram has of himself. He's small in his own eyes here, wonderfully humble and small in his own eyes. He goes on to say in verse 9. He says, is not the whole land before you, Lot? Separate yourself from me. Now, so far, that might sound kind of familiar. Like we might say, separate yourself from me. But listen to what he says next. He says, Lot, if you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. What is Abram demonstrating here? Climb into this story. What's he demonstrating? Okay. Okay. What else? Trust in the Lord. We'll talk about that in a minute. Grace. Grace, That's the word that just came. It was just all over this to me. But there's grace. There's trust. There's faith. We're going to factor in the trust factor here in a minute and the faith factor. But this is an incredible demonstration of grace for him to offer this first first choice dibs to Lot. So let's see what Lot does in verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, even if you didn't know the rest of the story, what clues are there in just that verse, verse 10, that Lot's made a poor choice? Okay, yes, there's a foreshadowing. That It even says in here that there's kind of an editor's comment. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That's foreshadowing. Okay, there's poor choice, but there's two other things in there that are, are indicators that he's made a poor choice. Like the land of Egypt. What just happened in Egypt? Man, they stepped outside of God's will, didn't they? So there's this little image there that, hey, yeah, that looks a lot like Egypt. But remember what just happened in Egypt? Abram, Sarai, you guys were outside of my will. And Lot is choosing a place that is really familiar to what they just, where they just were outside of God's will. What's the other hint? And it's not Zoar. There's only one, one other thing it can be. The garden. What happened in the garden? The fall. <laughs> yeah. The fall of mankind. I mean, it's lush and it's beautiful, but that's where man fell. So Lot, basically, uh, there's some indications here from this verse 10 that he's made a poor choice. So let's look in verse 11 and see what happens. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Lot made his choice of the Jordan Valley. Now I want to just put this question out up front. We're going to discuss this more in a minute. What did Lot choose with? His eyes. Okay, that's going to be important. Lot chose with his eyes. He's walking by sight. This is just a little side note we'll discuss this more in a minute. Lush well-watered is not always God's best. Lush fields, lush valleys, and well-watered valleys are not always God's best. In fact, in Lot's case, what looked to be the best turned out to be the worst. Now, let's look at verse 12. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. A little more foreshadowing there on Lot's choice. Now, meanwhile, after this choice of first choice by Lot, let's see what Abram does. He's back still in in this camp between Bethel and Ai. And what happens next is the Lord says to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Abram, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Now God, now Abram being smack dab right back in the middle of God's will, now he's hearing from the Lord again. Remember this whole foray into Egypt? He didn't hear a word from the Lord. But now he's hearing from the Lord, and God speaks to him. He's still in the same vantage point where Lot looked out and said, Oh, I want the Jordan Valley. He's still in that same area, that same high point, and he... and. And God says, look out in every direction. This is all going to belong to you and to your offspring, just like I promised you. And oh, yeah, by the way, your offspring are, you know, I told you they're going to be as numerous as the sand and the stars. Now add in the dust. In other words, it's going to be a bunch of those cats, a bunch of your family. And by the way, Abraham, put on your walking shoes and now go do a survey of the land that's all going to be yours. Maybe you ever bought a piece of property before. Maybe you bought a house with a yard or something. You kind of go out and you you marching it off, stepping it off, kind of laying your claim, you know. This is my, my property. And that's what God's telling him to do. Go walk the land. Do a little survey. Go walk the line and enjoy the property, this land that I'm promising you. In verse 18, So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. After this little hiking trip slash survey, Abram settles by the oaks of Mamre at Hebron, and there he built an altar. And what do you do at an altar? You worship, and he worships. Now, you might remember I've I've introduced you to this picture that we have. It's it's surprising how often these things come up as kind of a literary device in these Old Testament books and these Old Testament uh, stories of chiasms. A chiasm is kind of a literary device to set something off as important. One of the chiasms that we looked at recently was this introduction of Terah and his descendants and this, the, of where they lived from Ura Chaldeans and they moved to Haran. And there was something that was right smack dab in the middle of that chiasm that was so important and it was introducing a wrinkle to the promise. Do you remember what that was in chapter 11? Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Okay, if you, if if you hadn't been here before and heard what a chiasm is, just imagine like a pyramid sitting on its well, a pyramid sitting like it would. It, it litera- in in literary form, it's sitting on its side, and you can just imagine at the bottom of the pyramid. I'm having a difficult time helping you envision this. It looked like a Sesame Street a- episode or something. Just imagine at the base of the pyramid, you've got two issues that are parallel, two truths that are like bookends to the story and to the scene. And then next up, halfway up the pyramid, you've got two more issues that are also in parallel. And you've got, I mean, the chiasm could go up and up and up. But at the very top, you're setting something off as critically important. And in that chiasm in chapter 11, what was at the top that's critically important is Sarai was barren. There's a chiasm here in this little scene, in this story. And I'll give you what the bottom parts of the pyramid are. The bottom part on this side. Abram is at his Bethel altar with Lot. The other side of the pyramid, Abram is at his Hebron altar without Lot. Okay, now halfway up the pyramid, Abram's speech and his offering of the land to Lot. On the other side of the pyramid, God's speech and his offer of the land to Abram. And then at the very top of that is the next wrinkle that we considered tonight. Lot's choice of the lush land, right in the middle of it. You know, I, I don't know if these things, these chiasms really mean much to you. When I first began to be introduced to these things, I really, I, I was kind of scratching my head trying to get my head around it. And now I'm more, when I see them, I just enjoy the beauty of the word. And I enjoy the complexity and the mystery of the word that it's so much richer and so much deeper than it blush, first blush. When we read it one time through, we just, man, it's kind of an interesting story. But it's when you gnaw on it. And when you chew on it, and when you um, what does the cow do? Ruminate on it. You know what cow we you know what ruminating is? Chewing on it, burping it back up, swallowing it again, chewing on it, burping it back up. Maybe that's not in the right order. But all those things are happening, do that with the word, and man, there's treasures in there, and there's beauty and there's riches. But the pieces they're at the bottom of this pyramid, they set the physical and the spiritual tone of the scene. Abe's in worship again. When this great act of faith takes place, he's in worship because there's two bookends to the story. And what are those bookends? What is it? Altars. Exactly. Just see them. See two big altars on either side of the story as bookends. Abe is smack dab, ba- smack dab back in the middle of God's will, and he's deep in worship as he, he exercises his faith. Now, halfway up the, uh, the pyramid, those part way up show Abraham giving his rights. And God's blessings on Abram's peacemaking. And God reaffirms his promise. And then at the very top, this is so important, the the top of the pyramid, Lot's wicked decision not to defer to his uncle. You know, a godly young man would have deferred to his uncle. But Lot said, "I, I want that. I'll take first pick. Thanks. I want that right there. And he goes into what could be called cursed prosperity. That's going to be key. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He goes into what could be called his cursed prosperity, and Abram goes to true prosperity, where there's an incredible dependence on the Lord and where he's living for a city to come. Okay. Now, what I want to do in these next couple minutes, now that we've kind of gotten our, our, our arms around the story, I want to look at three contrasts, three really pretty and cool, pretty cool incredible, incredible contrasts. Here's the first one. Consider the contrast between Abram in Pharaoh's palace out of the land of blessing, outside of God's will, and Abram in a nomad's tent in the land of blessing, inside of God's will. I'm going to say that again because we're going to chew on this. Consider the contrast between Abram in Pharaoh's palace outside of the land of blessing, outside of God's will in chapter 12, And then in chapter 13, Abram's in a nomad's tent in the land of blessing inside of God's will. Now, I know that none of us have probably ever been in a palace. Uh, Maybe you have. I've never been to one. But I can imagine what Pharaoh's palace was like. I bet they had grapes. You know, that's part of palace life, right? People feeding you grapes. Fans, you know, they're fanning you everywhere. Leave me alone. I don't want any fanning right now. kind of cold. There's gold everywhere. I mean, you can just imagine, man, fine linen, purple, just this palace setting, the opulence, all the trappings that the world had to offer. Yet Abe, while he's in Pharaoh's palace, has compromised himself, He's compromised his marriage, and he's driven by cowardice and faithlessness while he's eating the grapes, being fanned, and laying on ivory beds of ease outside of God's will. Now, compare that to his... Tent life where he's living like a nomad, where he's back in God's will, where he's mobile and agile. How many of y'all camp? Now, I'm, gonna talk, I'm talking real camping with a tent. I'm not talking with these big high speed mobile homes, you know, or these uh, motor homes. Or, you know, I'm talking like real tent camping. How many of y'all done any tent camping? Okay. What are some of the things you have to do when you tent camp? Well, that's right. If you're not at some, like a KOA or some organized campground, you got to set up a latrine, some sort of some sort of bathroom situation. You got to take care of water. You got to take care of all the rain possibilities and how you're gonna keep dry. You got to deal with uh, bugs. bugs. Okay, clotheslines. I mean, you got to hang clotheslines out. You got to figure out how you're gonna light your light your way at night if you're outside making cocoa at night before bed. I mean, that's just part of it. And just, just imagine the reality that here Abram is inside God's will, and yet he's living in, in, in a nomad's tent. He's mobile and agile. He's living more simple, simple, but yet more complicated than palace life. In some weird way, it's simpler, but yet it's complicated, and it's harder because you have to take care of more things. You have to get your own water, you have to make your own bathroom, you have to set your own clothes lines out. And the cool picture when you contrast those two things of him being outside of God's will in Pharaoh's palace and being inside of God's will and living in a tent like a nomad is his living arrangements in the will of God are an il- illustration of the life of the believer. His living arrangements inside the will of God are an illustration of the life of the believer. We're campers. We're nomads we're pilgrims, we're mobile and agile, we're ready to pick up and move out whenever he tells us. Some of of y'all might remember at the elder ordination when we were looking at Ezra and Nehemiah, when the nation of Israel was in in captivity in Babylon. And I I remember saying at that point that God has called some men like he did with Ezra and with Nehemiah. He's called some men to call to the people of God and say, let's not build mansions in Babylon. Let's go back and build the city of God. Let's go back and build the people of God. For us, the city of God is being built up in the people of God, in the bride of Christ. But let's not build mansions. Let's live in tents. Let's live like pilgrims. Let's live like nomads. Let's live like campers. Now here's the reality, your house might be pretty cool, but the reality is, if you're a believer, please let it just be a house. Please let it, in fact, be a little bit more like a tent, that you can walk away from at any point, we should be living like the Jewish family on the eve of Passover. Remember that, about a year ago? <laughs> the Jewish family on the eve of Passover, that, what, do you remember the details, anybody remember any of those details? He's got to have something in his hand. Dad, what's he supposed to have in his hand? His, well, no, the hyssop branch thing's already done. That's good, though. Yeah, he's already slathered up the doorpost. He made it through the, the Passover. or Well, that, that's coming. Okay, but he's got to have something else in his hand. A staff in hand. He's got to have that herb-roasted lamb in the other hand. Boy, he's gnawing. They're eating quickly. They're eating with haste. And what else is he supposed to have? Is a son an, an article of clothing is supposed to be prepared in some way. His loins are to be girded. And uh, you may not be familiar with that picture. In, in that day, they, they wore these, these outfits that in, in order to make haste, <laughs> like if somebody's chasing you or if you're chasing something, you'd have to grab this, this dress thing through your, through your legs there and tuck it up in your belt so you could move out. And he said, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and get your staff in hand. Go ahead and have your gear packed and eat quickly. Because you need to be ready to move out. And that's the way the people of God ought to live. So the way this guy's living, this Abram, living inside the will of God is an illustration of the way the people of God ought to live. Like campers. Not building mansions in Babylon. Now, keep your finger in Genesis and look over in John chapter 1, verse 14. I'm going to show you the Alpha Camper. The Alpha Camper. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh. Who's the Word? Let's make sure we all know who that is. It's Christ, okay? The Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And we haven't seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. This picture of Him dwelling among us is a picture of Him pitching His tent. In the original language, in the Greek, that word means tabernacled. That's a word meaning tent. He came camping. He came and lived as a camper. He didn't build a mansion here. And he pitched a tent in this little tent called flesh, this human flesh. He was the alpha camper. And his model of living should be the model for the believer. While you're over there in the New Testament, look in Luke chapter 9, verse 58. Just for the sake of context, verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's the character of our Lord's ministry. It's agile, mobile. He's like a nomad. He's like a camper. He's like a pilgrim. And... At this point, you might be thinking, does this mean we're all supposed to go sell our homes? I don't see a for sale sign in front of your home on Woodland Avenue, Woodland Drive, where we live. (laughs) I don't see a for sale sign in front of your house. It may mean you're supposed to sell your home. It may. I don't think there's a blanket picture here that all of us need to go sell our homes but it may, in your specific case, mean that if it's, if it's something that you are married to that owns you, then maybe you should, if you couldn't walk away from it at any point. I think ideally what this is saying to all of us is that we're to live as pilgrims and nomads and exiles and sojourners and campers living ultimately for the city to come. We may live in a house, but we shouldn't be owned by that house. And we shouldn't be um, living for it. Okay, the next contrast. Contrast between the faithlessness of Abram in his Egypt foray, in chapter 12, where he goes off to Egypt. We're contrasting his faithlessness and his faithfulness in the land of promise. Okay, the contrast of his faithlessness in Egypt and his faithfulness in the land of promise. How many times did Abram hear for the Lord in Egypt? Zero. Zero. Nair, <laughs> that's southern for none, nair, nair bit. He didn't hear a peep from the Lord. This turned out to be, although it was the land of affluence for him, he found plenty of bread. <laughs> he was leaving, going looking for bread, he found plenty of that, but it turned out to be the land of silence. He left the voice of God when he went looking for bread. He said, basically, things are just too crummy for me here. I can hear the Lord, I'm walking with the Lord, But I don't have anything to eat. Things are just a little bit crummy for me here. So I'm bailing on his program and I'm going to go on my own program. And I think the thing we've got to consider whenever we consider him. Now, I may have eye contact with you right now. And this is why I'm sharing this with you. There are people that need to hear these very words tonight. People that I've been walking with for the last four years that need to hear these very words. But they're not here tonight because maybe they didn't hear this when I shared it before. Or maybe I didn't share this before. And they've left the stones of God's will trying to find bread of their own will. So I'm sharing this tonight. While all of you might be smack dab in the middle of God's will, I'm sharing this as an encouragement. Don't expect to hear God's leading when you're faithless in His provision and His design. Don't expect to hear God's word if you're going to step outside of His design for you and His plan for you. If you're going to head off to your version of Egypt. I encourage you to bloom where He has you. Jim Elliott said, if you're going to be someplace, be all there. And that's a great approach, spiritually. It's not just a kind of a positive thinking sort of thing. If the Lord has you in a place of famine, in Canaan, and you feel like it's the promised land though, but it sure is hard, don't bail on that place. You need to trust Him And you need to do everything that you can to walk by faith. Famine in faithfulness is better than feast in faithlessness. Because ultimately, physical feast in faithlessness is spiritual famine. I'll take physical famine over spiritual famine any day. That's faithlessness in Egypt. Now, faithfulness in the land of promise. His faithfulness in the land of promise is so clear in what what act. Don. Exactly. Going back to what we were talking about in this offering to Lot. In offering first choice to Lot, not knowing what Lot's going to choose, in offering that to his nephew that he didn't have to, in having a low view of himself, being small in his own eyes, it was an incredible picture. He trusted that God would make good on his promise and follow through on his covenant. And he's learning these things that, first of all, barrenness and old age can't and won't deter God's plans. (laughs) Barrenness and old age can't and won't deter God's plans. He's seeing that famine now, he's learning that famine can't and won't inhibit God's faithfulness. And he's trusting that even a greedy nephew can't and won't restrain God's future plans for him, Abram's faith, it's a pretty cool picture here, Abram's faith frees him to be generous. Abram's trust in the Lord that this God is going to provide for me like he said he was going to, frees him to be big-hearted and open-handed and generous. You want to know where generosity comes from? It comes from faith. Show me somebody that's generous, and big-hearted and open-handed, and I'm gonna say they got a big faith. Show me somebody that's greedy and not generous toward the Lord and not generous toward other people, and I'm gonna say got a little bit of tiny faith, if any at all. And the weird thing is, if you got a little bitty tiny faith, and you're saying, "Oh man, I'm kind of greedy. Yeah, I, I'm not generous toward the Lord. Are other people in need? Pray that the Lord will make you generous." Pray that he'll make you generous toward him and generous toward others and you'll watch that faith grow with it because you'll see him bless you in a way that you can't figure. See, he owns math. He made math. Are you going to let the calculator guide the way you live and love? Are you going to let God's promises guide the way you live and love? Man, Quicken is cool, but Quicken ain't my God. This tells me what the character of my God is. And he tells me that if I'm big-hearted and open-handed, and if I'm generous toward those that maybe even don't deserve it, like little nuisance nephew Lot, that he's going to bless me, I'm going to believe it. I'm also saying that to a bunch of people that I just encourage y'all to be generous toward God. And you think, you know, the reason I don't, I don't hit this often is because it, it, it always sounds so self-serving when it comes from a guy that's on the payroll. But sometimes I wish I wasn't on the payroll for that very reason so I could speak truth to some of y'all where people would listen. I'm telling you, it's the, it's, God has blessed us so much in being generous toward him and generous toward other people. I don't get paid on commission. It's ridiculous. I'm begging y'all, man. I know some of y'all are faithful and smack dab in the middle of generosity toward God. Those of you who aren't, if you're having money problems, you're going to live there. Get comfortable living there because you'll stay there. Man, I just encourage y'all to be faithful in that. If you're going through difficult time with provision and job and et cetera, give generously back to the Lord. It is an act of faith that God will bless. I make that promise to you. Now, the next contrast. Contrast between Abram's faith and Lot's sight. This is a contrast between Abram's faith and Lot's sight. Now, I asked this question we were considering Lot. How did Lot choose? With his eyes, by sight. It's interesting here in verse 10 of chapter 13 that it says, um, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the Garden of the Lord. This picture of being well-watered, this area of the Jordan Rift, it's kind of almost like, it wouldn't be like the Chaffalaya Basin. Have y'all ever driven between Baton Rouge or New Orleans or you're on that 20 miles of bridge? You're like, man, I didn't know there's much water in the world. It wasn't like that, but it was pretty wet and probably still is. The Jordan Rift had all kinds and has all kinds of streams, brooks, and uh, springs that are feeding this area, this system. And the natural eye would look at this lush valley and all these these streams and brooks and rivers and say, "Well, pff, you're giving me a choice to live where I want to live." Well, that makes sense because the natural eye is going or the natural man is going to be driven by what he sees and what he thinks makes sense. But Abram, on the other hand, chose by faith, trusting the God of the promise. It's interesting that the contrast between the Jordan Valley and the Hebron area there the hebron area is the hebron area i'm trying to think of a different way to say that the jordan valley and the hebron is kind of a plateau there is in the jordan valley there's these streams providing water on the hebron area it's all dependent on rain (laughs) which is interesting interesting contrast contrast abram chooses by faith a place where he's going to have to depend on the lord to provide sources of water a place of dependence a place of faith This would be like you, passing on a promotion or a new position or a different position for more money, i.e. the lush stream-fed fields of the Jordan Valley, and being content with the more tent-like dwellings in simple fields of Canaan. How about that? Sometimes you think it's God's blessing that you got time for overtime. Overtime opportunity? Sometimes you think it's God's blessing that you got to pay a job that's going to pay you twice as much that's in Dallas where you're going to commute three hours a day. Sometimes you think it's God's blessing that you're going to get promoted. It may not be a blessing. It may be a test where God's trying to test you to see what really matters to you. Because lush is not always Best. And the Jordan Valley may not be ideal. It might be like you moving from a large home and a big salary into a more simple lifestyle in hopes of spending more time with your family shepherding and readying them for the city to come. How about that? (laughs) Man, we're campers, right? That's pretty radical, isn't it? That's kind of counter to the health-wealth gospel, isn't it? It might be taking a smaller job, less pay, but spending more time being a daddy and a wife and a family and a people building the city to come. Christ modeled this. Turn to Philippians 2. He was the alpha model of this. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This could be a commentary on Abram if it were in the Old Testament. This this could be somebody saying, and here's what Abram did. Listen to what it says, but it's speaking of Christ. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There you are again, Abram. Look into the interests of little old nuisance nephew Lot. Have this mind among yourselves, people of God, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He went to a place that didn't have streams and lush garden-like property. Since this is about our Christ, we know that this picture of Abram's faith that we looked at tonight in Genesis chapter 13 was really a type. It was a commentary on the work of our Lord who had it all. and He left the right hand of the Father and he went to the cross scorning its shame and now he's seated back at the hand of the Father again. Man, he did this. This is such his story. Now, the last thing I want to share with you tonight is the picture of peacemaking. There's a major picture, a major theme of peacemaking in this story. At what seems to be a great cost to Abram, he makes peace with the undeserving. It's Christ in the OT. At what seems to be great cost to Abram, he makes peace with the undeserving. Now, first, let's talk about this in the horizontal direction. This should be characteristic of the relationships among the people of God. Brother to brother, sister to sister, brother to sister, family to family among the people of God. Shouldn't be any room for the people of God to be backbiting and chewing on each other in light of something like this. This sort of picture that we see in Abram should be characteristic of the people of God. We give up our rights to restore relationships. Rights are overrated. Who needs rights in the people of God? We've got a Savior. Rights might. It's quite American, but it's not very Christian. If we're to do this, let me just share a passage with you in regards to this mindfulness in the horizontal direction, this gentleness, this um, lowliness, this rights, sacrificing mindset toward each other. Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. So if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. If we're supposed to be that big-hearted and open-handed toward enemies, what ought we be toward our brother and our sister? Man, I I think the Lord has guarded us these last four years, last four and a half years from much of this happening. He just seems to just do us just a wonderful, graceful work of quenching the fires of discontentment because they all, I mean, if you've got people in a church, (laughs) it's going to happen, but they don't seem to last long here. And I think it's because we're all just so shocked and amazed by the cross. There's no room for it. Are you kidding me? How could we be mad at each other? How can we be fighting for our rights? There's just no room for it. This picture of peacemaking. Now in the vertical direction. At what seems to be great cost to Abram, he makes peace with the undeserving. This is characteristic of the gospel. The last passage I want to show you tonight is in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the fle- in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In some ways, Lot is a picture of us. Now, this is referring to the Gentiles and the Jews being reconciled through the work of Christ, but it's also the picture of the lost being reconciled to the people of God through the work of Christ. It's breaking down walls between two people, Jew and Gentile, but it's also breaking down walls between lost and found. And in this case, we're a picture of Lot having no hope without God in the world, having no daddy being an orphan. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. This picture of what Abram did with Lot is a picture of what God has done with us. He gave us uh, blessings. And He made peace with us when we really didn't deserve it. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that You'll sort out some of these thoughts that we have chewed on tonight. Lord, I pray uh, as a uh, shepherd of a family and a co-shepherd of a people for uh, purchase in this... uh, this mindfulness of camping and this uh, reality of us being pilgrims. Lord, I pray that you'll guard me and that you'll guard this people and that you'll guard our shepherds from building mansions in Babylon and that you'll find us mobile and agile and big-hearted and open-handed and generous toward you and generous toward those in need. That you'll find us like Abram living for the city to come Lord, like Abram, uh, I share on behalf of this people on behalf of me and our family that we are grateful that you are gracious and that you welcome back even those that have forays in in, uh, Egypt. And Lord, I pray that you'll find us between the bookends of worship and altar, enjoying our Lord and His finished work. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had together tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all.